Hello, and welcome to the podcast, An Intelligent Look at Terrorism. I'm your host, Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Ottawa. The genesis for this podcast came from a rather non-traditional place when it comes to talking about terrorism and national security. I was on an airplane recently on a business trip and brought some fiction to read with me. I'd like to intersperse all of my terrorism-related reading and security-related reading with the odd work of fiction, especially science fiction. And I happened to notice a book at the local library that struck me as interesting. The book is entitled Recursion, and it's by an author named Blake Crouch. Fairly recent publication. The book is quite quite good. It's got some good reviews, and I certainly couldn't put it down. But what does it have to do with terrorism? Well, the, the plot of the book is a rather interesting one. There is a phenomenon that's described in the book called false memory syndrome, and it stems from an experiment that was done by a scientist to capture people's memories and to use those memories to send them back in time to reverse events. And as in most science fiction novels, this takes a rather bad turn in the sense that going back to reverse the death of a loved one or a bad decision is one thing, but as it turns out through some bizarre quirk of physics, the memories which have been used to undo events seem to have given rise to false memories, meaning that people have these situations in which they both remember and don't remember something that happened in the past. In other words, even though the event had been erased, people still remember it. So you can imagine what that does to people's people's minds. Anyhow, at the end of the novel, or towards the end of the novel, it turns out that the American agency known as DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, finds out about the technology and essentially takes it over. And as we know from a lot of dystopian fiction and fiction in general, whenever the U.S. Defense Agency gets involved, things turn out quite badly. And that's exactly what happens. So instead of just reversing recent events that are rather small in nature, they get a little bit too big for their bridges and they send people back to reverse earlier events and much larger events. So you get to a situation where you say, well, well, you know, what if we send someone back in time and they kill Adolf Hitler before he rises to power, head of the Nazi regime, leading to the invasions of various countries in Europe, and of course the outbreak of World War II. And this is a very popular theme in a lot of fiction. It's almost like alternative histories. Well, this is done, and when push comes to shove, the Chinese and the Russians think that the Americans have developed this technology as a weapon, and surprise, surprise, they send ballistic nuclear missiles to destroy the Earth. And you have this various iterations whereby the United States is destroyed, but then someone goes back to just before the United States was destroyed, and it's, you get into sort of this, this infinite loop of uh, things that did happen and things that, that, that didn't happen. Anyhow, why this book struck me uh, as being of interest from a terrorist perspective is that this device, this memory device, was actually used by one of the protagonists to go back in time and prevent a catastrophic act of terrorism from happening. They don't mention 9-11 per se, but they do talk about other acts of terrorism where innocent civilians have been killed. So this led me to a really interesting question or consideration, and that is memory chairs notwithstanding. We don't have the technology to the best of my knowledge, although maybe DARPA is working on this. They have other projects that are probably equally as interesting. Can we, in fact, bring terrorism to an end? Is it possible 
to eliminate this phenomenon? Is it possible to get to a world where terrorism simply does not exist? I'm not talking about reversing previous acts, but putting in place measures, actions, policies, moves that would prevent acts of terrorism from happening, prevent terrorist groups from forming, and prevent people from, from joining those groups. This is a question that I think is really interesting, especially in light of the notion that, and this is a topic we've talked about quite a bit in these podcasts, that we are at a war with terrorism. And I don't want to repeat the arguments that I've made on several occasions in the past about why the term war on terrorism is a bad one. But it does lead to this contention that if in fact we have identified terrorism as something to fight, whether we want to use the war analogy or something else, it suggests that at some point we may get to a future time where terrorism no longer takes place. You know, I hate to, to burst your bubble. This podcast is being recorded in early December. It's the Christmas season, the Advent season. It's a season of, of great joy for many people. It's a season of anticipation, a season of getting families together. But I fear I have to level the, the hammer here and, and, and give you a reality dose. And that is the simple reality that terrorism will never end. I wanna look at why I think that's the case. But before I do so, this is not to suggest that there cannot be victories, successes, or progress in our struggle against terrorism. There's no question, for example, that individual terrorists can in fact be defeated. They can be located, they can be investigated and or followed. In some cases, they can be killed through kinetic action, through drone strikes, through airstrikes, through special forces. They can be arrested, charged, tried, and convicted. So on that level, there's no question that terrorists can be ended, can be defeated. We've seen that in many countries around the world, including my own here in Canada. So it is an obvious fact that at the very base level of terrorism, i.e. individuals, that they can in fact be stopped. Well, let's take it up one more notch. Can terrorist groups come to an end? And the answer is maybe. I looked at a, in a previous podcast at this issue, so I don't want to reiterate those arguments. But there's no question that groups do ebb and flow. They reach a height in some cases, and then they decrease their activity through a whole host of reasons, whether it's internal dissent or external pressure, achieving their goals in some cases, like the Afghan National Congress, which at one point was considered to be a terrorist organization, certainly by the South African government. And here they are, all these years later, actually running the show. They are the government in South Africa. So that group, as a terrorist group, certainly went away. So there's no question that we, in fact, do see a slight decrease, sometimes a very dramatic decrease in activity by terrorist groups. So in that sense, you could say that, yes, terrorist groups do come to an end. Although, as I noted earlier, these groups almost seem to be vampire-like in a way, in that they can spring back to life relatively quickly, depending on the circumstances. And I certainly think that Al-Qaeda is a prime example of a group that many had thought was on the outs in the early 2000s, so in the years immediately after their attack on 9-11, when the U.S. military went into Afghanistan and essentially went to war with Al-Qaeda and with the Taliban, which were at a minimum hosting, protecting, and probably more supporting and aiding and abetting Al-Qaeda. And by 2003, when the Americans invaded Iraq, many thought that Al-Qaeda had in fact become a force that was no longer significant. 
we could kind of ignore them. And of course, you know, almost 20 years later, it turns out that's quite inaccurate. Al-Qaeda may have taken a backseat to Islamic State over the past five years, but it has not disappeared. There is a core still. There are a number of affiliates and groups that take inspiration from it. So in the end of the day, yes, we can bring a terrorist coup to an end, but it's no longer, or rather it's never all that clear whether or not it, the end is final or whether it's a temporary end. But I want to look at the bigger picture here. And the big picture that I asked at the beginning, the question that I've asked is, can we end terrorism? Can we ever successfully conclude that terrorism is no longer with us? And I think, this is my perspective, having looked at this phenomenon for quite a number of years, written about it, uh, talked to others about it, participated in actual counterterrorism investigations for CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. And it is my very strong opinion that the answer is no, you cannot bring terrorism to an end. I think one of the major reasons for that is that terrorism is a phenomenon. It's a tactic. It has been with us for a very long period of time, despite the fact that the word terrorism really dates from the end of the French Revolution in the late 18th century. The tactic has been around probably since the beginning of time. If we take the most common definition that an act of terrorism is a serious act of violence perpetrated by actors motivated by some kind of underlying ideology or politics or religion, you could go way back in time and find, in fact, that there are many acts of terrorism that predate the actual invention, shall we, or the coining of the term terrorism. You could look at the Crusades, for example, as a litany, as a series of acts of state, uh, state acts of terrorism supported, urged, and led by the Catholic Church in the late 11th through to the 14th or 15th centuries. So terrorism is, I think, part parcel of the human condition in the same way that other crimes like murder or sexual assault are part of the human condition. And it strikes me as strange that we don't talk about ending murder. We don't talk about ending violent assault. We certainly do our utmost to prevent it from happening. And we create laws and we create court systems and we create systems to deal with those who partake of this activity. We make it illegal under our legislation and we put these people away so that they can't harm other people. But I don't think anyone says we'll get to a point where murder no longer exists. Unless, of course, we're talking Star Trek in the 24th century, but there's lots of things in Star Trek that frankly make for great Hollywood, make for great TV. I'm a big Star Trek fan. I have been since the original series in the 60s, but the fact that there's no poverty in the 25th century or no violence or no conflict is a little unrealistic. Let's get back to terrorism then. Why is it that we can't end terrorism? I think there's several reasons for this. I think first and foremost that the tactic of terrorism has been used by any number of groups over the centuries. So it's really hard to narrow or focus in on one particular manifestation of it and say, well, that's the end of terrorism. So let me give you an example. We certainly have been putting all of our eggs or most of our eggs in the Islamist extremism basket since 9-11. It has certainly been by far the greatest scourge to modern society from a terrorist perspective. There's no question that the vast majority of deaths that have occurred at the hands of terrorists have been at the hands of jihadis or Islamist extremists. Not all, but certainly most. And if I could put a bit of a plug in here, the Global Terrorism Index is a study that's put out by an Australian outfit called the Institute for Economics and Peace. And in fact, we're hosting those of us at the University of Ottawa Security Economics and Technology Program within the Professional Development Institute 
is hosting the rollout of this particular report, the seventh iteration of the Global Terrorism Index, on December the 11th. I'm not sure if this podcast will be out by then, but if it is, you'll want to get to Ottawa U on, on December 11th. Have it look at the website. Many, many different types of terrorism are there. And yes, we've been focusing on Islamist extremism, and yes, we've had the odd success against a whole variety of Islamist extremist groups, although none of them are really dead. None of them are, are inactive. Islamic State's still around, Al-Qaeda's still around, Al-Shabaab still around, Boko Haram's still around, Hizbut is still around, Jamat al-Dowa is still around, and the list goes on and on and on. But we've had this concerted effort on an international level to try to mitigate the effects of these groups, locate these people, and as I said earlier, either take them out kinetically in military action or arrest them, try them, convict them, and incarcerate them. Even if we were to keep this up for indefinitely, there's no guarantee. In fact, I would say that it's simply impossible to get to a point where there's no more Islamist extremism. We could put a big dent in it, but we wouldn't rule it out completely, eliminate it completely. The problem is, is that Islamist extremism is just one example of modern terrorism. There are other ideologies, there are other political motivations that lead people to join terrorist groups or create terrorist groups. A lot of talk these days about right-wing extremism, whether we're talking white supremacy or neo-Nazism or anti-immigrant groups or racist groups, etc., etc. So if you focus on Islamist extremism, then well, what do you do about the far right? And it's a very valid question to ask. Are the same tactics that we have employed to deal with Islamist extremism around the world, would they be as useful and as beneficial and effective when used against the far right? I don't know. I think investigations are investigations, irrespective of what group you're looking at. But the whole other litany of things you need to do in terms of getting messaging out and countering narratives and dealing with individuals who have a perhaps a tendency to believe in these types of ideologies, do you use the same tactics for the far right as you do for Islamist extremism? What about the far left? What about environmental extremism, which as I've predicted for a number of years now, is just a matter of time. What about single issue extremism, like anti-abortion, like animal rights activists? Do you treat those the same way? What I'm trying to suggest here is that we use the word terrorism to encompass a whole host of different types of violent extremism perpetrated for the reasons I already cited. But is all terrorism the same? By focusing on one, do you not merely open the door for another to flourish and to thrive? And then when you shift, shift attention again, you open the door you, you thought you'd close in the first place on the group that you had been focusing on, in this case, Islamist extremism, and you therefore get to a point where you're almost playing whack-a-mole with terrorist groups and whack-a-mole with individual terrorists. That's the first reason why I don't think terrorism as a phenomenon is readily defeatable, if that's even a word. The second reason is that terrorism, unfortunately, if you look at it uh, dispassionately, if you look at it as objectively as possible, there actually is an underlying justification or at least a, a logical and comprehensive and comprehensible, that's not a word, as to why it occurs in the first place. Understanding the phenomenon is not the same as supporting the phenomenon, but there's no question that in some instances, terrorist groups, terrorists, terrorist movements 
have arisen as a consequence of, for example, military invasions. You look at the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 1979, led directly to the creation of Al-Qaeda. The U.S. decision to go into Iraq in 2003 led directly to the creation of Islamic State. The Ethiopian invasion of Somalia in 2005 led directly to the creation of Al-Shabaab. Follow me with this. If we keep invading, or if some countries keep invading other countries, whether it's historical grievances, border disputes, despotic leaders, or just a desire to be the neighborhood bully, and they leave their forces in place for an indefinite period of time, that creates the conditions under which terrorism can in fact be created. Do any of you think that military incursions, military interventions are gonna end anytime soon? I mean, the Russians just invaded Crimea in Eastern Ukraine, creating a Russian sympathetic Republic. Now there's obviously some individuals in those areas that were already pro-Russia, but still the fact remains is that the Russians decided to invade a neighbor and, and take control of its territory. Are, Ukraine, are the Ukrainians caught in those parts of, of their country? Do they not have every justification to push back? Do they not have the right to take up arms against the invader? I think they do. Certainly international law would support that. And not that I know that there are terrorist groups being formed in those parts of Ukraine by Ukrainian nationalists, but it certainly is possible. Ergo, in the future, when we see these types of military interventions, you're going to see the rise of terrorist groups. Another reason why we can never actually end terrorism. So I think this we need a rethink on this. we got to stop looking at this in terms of a, a tangible thing that eventually with enough money and enough resources, enough attention, enough firepower, enough people, that we're going to get to a point where it no longer poses a threat. People always pose a threat. The only question is, what will level that threat be? And that will vary from country to country. It's, as I mentioned, the Global Terrorism Index that we're featuring next week in Ottawa looks at different countries and levels of terrorism and costs of the economy and the effects on the population, etc., etc. So there will always be a variation in terms of how important terrorism is, what level of threat it poses, whether it ever is, ever, ever is actually existential. And I don't think it ever is, but it certainly gets very close to that in places like Afghanistan and, and, and Nigeria or parts of Nigeria. So the phenomenon itself will always be with us. That does not mean we should stop what we're doing at one level. I certainly have a certain, I have a very particular bias when it comes to counterterrorism. Having worked for the security service, we should in fact continue to investigate individuals radicalizing the violence along these lines, be they fire right, jihadist or whatever. That's number one. We certainly should be uh, continuing our studies to understand terrorism as a phenomenon and get at maybe some of the reasons why people think this is a good idea. We'll never, we'll never solve it completely, but we can certainly chip away at, at this complex phenomenon as to the decisions that people make that lead them to become terrorists. Let's do that. We've really got to stop the military option with the exception of special forces, as I've talked about it many times in the past. I'm not advocating we no longer do counterterrorism. I'm advocating that we stop seeing this as a program which at, at some point in time is going to lead to the complete eradication of terrorism as an entity, as a social phenomenon, as a particular ill or disease, if I can use that term, which we have here on the planet Earth. That's not going to happen. 
And I think that the sooner that we realize that and we understand this, I think the sooner we'll get away from some of the language we've been hearing, some of the boasting by certain international leaders about terrorist groups and terrorism, and we get to a much more realistic level where we understand that there are limitations of what we can and cannot do, that we can still do an awful lot without trying to achieve the impossible, which is bringing terrorism to an end. It's not going to happen in my lifetime, and it's not going to happen in my grandchildren's lifetime. So I'd like to be proven wrong, but I really don't think I'm going to be. That's the end of this podcast. I'd love to hear what you think of it. If you agree with me, disagree with me, or are somewhere in the middle, you can certainly leave feedback on my webpage, www.borealisthreatenrisk.com. You can reach me on Gmail, borealisrisk at gmail.com, on Twitter, at borealisaves, on Facebook, or on LinkedIn. I would love to hear your feedback on anything you hear on this podcast, or the blogs, media interviews that I do. It's always great to engage in a conversation on this topic. So if you have the time, I'd love to hear from you. I'll talk to you again in a fortnight. Until then, stay safe.